which is Lugalier. I want to forgive you, and I want to forget you. Welcome to another episode of D-Girls, a fully developed pop culture podcast. We're so thrilled to have you here. My name is Julia. I'm Delaney. And I'm Tina, and we are your D-Girls, here with a... Something a little different for you. We talk about reality TV a lot, but today we wanted to talk about documentaries, a bit inspired by the fact that, unfortunately, we lost an icon, Tina Turner, at 83 years old, whose documentary, Tina, on HBO, which came out in 2021, like, I would say, like, quite literally changed my life and the way I saw myself and my value and my ability the way I viewed finding a soulmate and when I was okay with that happening in my life. And it changed a lot for me during a time where we were kind of still in quarantine. And so it it sort of sparked conversation among all of us about a genre of documentary that feels like it's having a resurgence and one that we're really compelled by, which is what we've been calling either female-led documentaries or even the reclaiming the narrative genre of documentary. Right. Absolutely. I think I was trying to think of when this new surge started. And do you remember right before the pandemic, the Dolly Parton podcast came out Mm. and like everyone lost their minds? I did. I personally lost my mind and I was sending it to everyone I knew just because it was so fascinating, a peek behind the curtain. And I think that that was like one of the first that kind of kicked off this, this whole mountain of of female public figure documentaries, whether it's a retrospective and they've passed or it's like them in their present day. So we're talking Pamela, we're talking Anna Nicole, we're talking Paris. Tina. Paris Paris is a big one. I will say Britney Spears was a huge one. It's important to note Britney did not participate in or endorse that documentary, but I think in terms of shifting public consciousness and saying maybe we've gotten this person wrong. Yeah, exactly. That was a big one for that. And Amy was perhaps the first, I think, that of this mm. of also of the documentary field and that led to Whitney and all of these others that we've mentioned. Yeah. So there's been some incredible storytelling, some that still I think Yeah, a little less effective than others. Yeah. Absolutely. And then some of these are also done in close participation with the primary subject. Some of these are also done posthumously. I think mm. we're gonna cover some of each and probably have a variety of thoughts on on the ethics of all of that. A documentary in this genre that I think we all really enjoyed and got a lot out of would be Pamela. Mm-hmm. Uh, telling a love the story, story of Pamela Anderson. Mm-hmm. Pamela, a love story! Um, and this was very much a reclaiming the narrative doc on the heels. This is, of course, about Pamela Anderson. Um, but on the heels of Tom and Pam, pa- wait, Pam, Pam and Tommy, <laughs> Pam and Tommy. I couldn't figure. I was like, Pam Tom and Pam. Good old, good old Tom and Pam. Tom and I thought Pam. Tom and Pammy is what you were going to say. And I was like, I, I got to make sure. Yeah, it's, it's Pam and Tommy. I My brain myself. could not get it out. Um, Pamela and Tomatha. But no, so. <laughs> okay, Pam and Tommy. Came out on Hulu um, with very famous people in it. It was it had a big buzz. But Pamela Anderson was not for this. She was not for reliving her trauma without her, like, 
being consulted, being involved in the creative process. She just like wasn't down for it. So Pamela, a love story was, I don't want to minimize it and say like it was just a response to that, but it was a beautiful response to that. Because it also technically wasn't. She was filming it before Mm -hmm. it came out at the very least because she was writing her book. She found right, out about of, it on camera, right? Yeah, she was like they're developing aired, this show. Up, yeah, right. But but so, they knew that this was happening, right? And I think that's why her sons kind of stepped in and said, Well, let's mm-hmm. just start let's start yeah. really focusing in on your own story and what you want to say, which I think is just I also think it's such a an amazing personal touch that it was produced by her two sons. Her son, I one of her too. sons, star of the reboot of The Hill. The Hill. Never forget. Let us not forget. Yes, um, I agree. But for the viewer, we had it was kind of a point counterpoint. You had the fictionalized mm-hmm. version that was also heavily based off of Tommy Lee's memoir, and then you get Pamela in her own words. We're in her own home. It's like a beautifully intimate portrait of who this woman is now and the journey she's been on. Absolutely, and I I love that we're able to see her, like you said, in her home environment because. Her charm and like effervescent energy, it just, it doesn't matter how much time has gone by. Like she is still such an enigmatic figure. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever, again, because of the age that we were when all of this was happening and really breaking in real time, to me, she was kind of just this like cartoonish person that I didn't really understand Mm -hmm. as like a child. And so to really humanize her in this doc and to hear it all back, just thinking about the media culture of that time, how things, she was invaded, you know, her privacy was invaded time and time again, and how she really rolled with it, but also like didn't even get properly compensated for a lot of her work because of that time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it is just like very interesting, very fascinating, and ultimately it was a feel-good doc That's that oftentimes you don't really walk away with a sense of like, closure and peace but i do feel really good about where pamela is today considering the trauma she went through this i mean this doc literally changed the way that i handled myself in love like Mm -hmm. her i mean the fact that it's called a love story is not um a mistake like they she just has she loves so wild she is a water sign to the ultimate degree. I mean, mm-hmm. she is, she helped me enter my lover girl era where I was like, <laughs> I'm going to love big and hard and not apologize for it because there is nothing wrong and there is no limited supply of love. Even her being like, the fact that she gets married like and divorced in within the span of the film <laughs> is incredible. It's Absolutely perfect. Incre- and then she's like, I'd get married again. And I'm like, the resilience. I mean, we could call it a lot of things, but I received it as absolute resilience. There is something so fearless about her. And I, I do think that's something to be admired because the truth is we never know how anything is going to end up. And she takes the plunge every time. I think obviously you don't want to do that to the detriment of yourself, your mental health, your physical health, the well-being of your loved ones. But at the same time, she is an amazing model for living with a very open heart, very heart first. Yeah. I think that's being able to have her present tense perspective on the past was Mm -hmm. so powerful. And that's what I love about 
this documentary as well as just her open, honest reflection. Like the fact that that she kept a diary that she wrote down so much of her life consistently over decades is also yeah. like, what a feat. Okay, journal girly. Like I see yeah. you building that habit. Um, yeah. But also like it was just an amazing moment to watch her dig through these pages and read them back and laugh at herself and then cry a little and get touched by some certain things and then have some boxes absolutely stay closed. You know, there's yeah. a lot of trauma that she was like, you know what? I actually don't even need to go there. Thanks so much. Yeah. I don't think it will serve me to actually relive that. And you're like, that is fair. And I think a lot of these docs have to toe that line of like, how much do you go into that trauma that has built up people's mm. careers, torn them down, you know, like just uh, some of it, it totally destroys your faith in humanity. You know, when you think about Tina Turner, for example, mm -hmm. she was able to be present in this documentary she was still alive when they made it and made some really powerful commentary but the amount of trudging that you had to do through her past with ike yeah brutal was really Horrible. really hard and i can't even imagine how hard it was for her i think one thing that i did contemplate watching tina was they used this audio interview from 88, I want to say, which was when she did go in depth about the abuse she faced from mm -hmm. Ike Turner. Yes, yes. And I was like, what a salient choice mm -hmm. to not make her sit down and yes. do that again. Like, we have it. We don't need to do that. Like, there's a lot more she can and wants to be offering at this point in her life. She's already gone on the record about that. I just thought that was an interesting device. Yep. And obviously someone like her has so much archival. Yeah, I wonder if that was production or if it was her saying no. Because I know that in a lot of interviews, even they show her in these clips, right? In these different um, interview setups where she's like, oh, really? We're going to talk about this again? Are we actually yes, really right. going to go back? Like, she is so desperate to leave that in the past that I wonder if that could have been contingent to her doing this documentary. It's like, absolutely, I'd love to tell my life story. I have no desire to sit down and talk you through that past when it was so well documented by the news and media. And the details are actually horrific yeah mm -hmm. i don't think it had occurred to me until just right now that i mean we we refer to pamela and tina being two of the most like the best versions of this kind of doc but i think one of the storytelling devices that serves both of them best is that they had a version of the younger voices of both of their subjects Oh, so interesting. Both like by having Pamela's journals, you had young Pamela's thoughts without having to make Pamela dredge. You could hear what Pamela thought then. Pamela wouldn't even wasn't even reading the journal entries. They had someone who sounded like her reading them, so mm -hmm. she didn't have to go all the way back. But we got it straight out of young Pamela's mouth. And we got Tina's recounting out of a younger version of herself as well, who was maybe at the time more willing to give detail. So you got not only the person present today, but you got a younger version of them that was most raw and authentic. And I think that's why the stories are so holistic and well-rounded. Did you feel that way about Pretty Baby? No. Okay, I'd love to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Jules, do you want to start? So I definitely got a lot out of Pretty Baby, if at least in the sense of like, 
we should all be more concerned with child labor laws. Mm. Like we really should be. Children should not work. I don't think that's a hot take particularly, but like, you know, what Brooke Shields went through in her childhood being so commodified mm-hmm. was and always sexualized. interesting. Yes. Like sexualized in a way that she did not have the life experience or understanding to really consent to because she's a child. Like she absolutely shouldn't have any context for those things. Um, It's like beyond egregious. It's deeply traumatizing. I think that is such a valuable conversation. And I think Brooke Shields being such an archetype of like the quote unquote all American girl Mm. um, is a great, she's a great person to like bring up this conversation and share her life. I think maybe from a storytelling perspective, there were just areas I wish the doc like pushed or explored Mm -hmm. or like filled in. I'll note, I believe the director is Lana Wilson who did the Taylor Swift Miss Americana doc, which I'll also say should probably be included in this category because I think that was a major turning point for Taylor Swift's career uh or public perception at least um can attest to it having changed my opinion yes that's also how i felt about Katy perry's part of me i really wasn't i didn't really like her that's a a great documentary gaga is good too so yeah there's a couple out there too about like current pop stars which i think Mm -hmm. is is so interesting i guess like with pretty baby my question is how was it framed like how involved was brooke what were who were the players Brooke's very involved. I think my the thing for me that felt most different about Brooke's version was mostly Brooke was presented in a very poised interview shot. They end up doing some filming at home, and it's where we get some of her Ross moments. They have her talking to one of her closest friends. It just is very infrequent, and it's not threaded consistently enough throughout the doc. So you don't see her as strip. Like, Pamela is so stripped down in hers. She, yeah. You see so much of her at right now in her true authentic world, Brooke was mostly in interview shots. So you're not living with her. You get one scene at the end at dinner with her family that is incredibly revealing in terms of even where she's at and her healing process. But it is the most you really see Brooke. You mean I you think. didn't get Brooke riding her lawnmower in front of her mom's house <laughs> I like know, Pamela? With a little sun hat on? No. <laughs> the most charming shot of the whole movie. It was not the same. I mean, do you agree, Julia? I do agree because I think what we miss in some of these documentaries is the kind of first person lived in scenes. Uh, We got so much of that in Pamela that was delightful. Like her preparing for Chicago. It's like, yes, we are in it. And I'm quite sure that Brooke Shields has some things going on. And yeah, so I just didn't really... It's fine to have her sit in this sort of like deconstructed set, like backdrop, like it was one of those backdrops where you kind of see the the Mm -hmm. artifice of the backdrop. So it's like, hey, we're, you know, making movies. Yeah, but I was like, the most impactful thing was seeing her in her home with her daughters and her daughters saying, yeah, mom, this was all crazy. Like this would never happen now. And we know it's wrong and we're not trying to disparage you but we're we are sorry for what you had to go through it's like pretty messed up and 
that was just very poignant and impactful. And it was like one scene at the end. So I think this documentary came out in pretty much in tandem with a memoir that Brooke Shields also released. And I think there's just so much unpacking of her relationship with her momager. That was the other element of it that I felt like they told the story very linearly to the point where I was like, is mom dead or alive? Where do, where does mom's, where does this shit go left with mom? Like it felt like mom is so, I think Brooke's not ready to speak about her mom in a certain way, which is totally fair. I but I think the thesis of the film probably could have been a, a bit more abundantly structured around that relationship and could have given us like more information could have rounded that bend differently. It just, it the way it handled that specific part of the story to me was interesting, especially because then we see Brooke as a mom and we see Brooke having these conversations about would she have her kids do that. And that I would love to have then seen an interview moment of like, remember that time your kids said, how do you feel about, do you understand what was truly done to you now that you're looking at it through the lens of, would you do it to your daughters? Right. So do we know if her mom is still alive or not? She's, She's passed. Not. Got it. Yeah. And it's been, you know, a handful of years. I think a lot of people, I guess, especially our contemporaries and older, will be familiar with Brooke Shields' kind of bigger works like Blue Lagoon, which I actually have never seen, but I remember on like, I love the eighties. Yes. Uh, They used to talk about that all the time. And as like a, I was probably like 12, 13. I was like, what the hell? It's like, it's so startling to look back and go, excuse me. She was how old and like pregnant naked and like two naked children. It's so weird like I I cannot believe that was legally allowed that but that's that was what I kept the entire documentary I was like I cannot believe this was legal I don't understand how this was legal for like an eight-year-old to do a nude scene in the film Pretty Baby which is what this the title is obviously taken from where an adult man like kissed her and I again I don't want to like project on to her because I think that's like the whole point of these documentaries is letting people speak for themselves but I'm like I wonder if you ever can unpack that like I wonder Mm. if you can because she and her mom defended pretty baby as like a work of art for a long long time and well that's how she also defended her photography as well right her like nude photography as like a young girl it was like it's artistic and like chic it's like you know even though it's like wasn't she like 10 like way too young. young well that they they did go into it being like this is artistic and but the, I think they blocked that from coming out at a later yes, time. Yes, she, she managed to, yeah. But I think in that, that little bit of a peek behind the curtain scene with her daughters, you see her still not totally able to say what was done to me was unacceptable. Yeah. Until yeah. her kids say, would you let me do it? Yeah. And she goes, no. But just right. prior, and I believe the sentence is prior, she's sort of saying, but... At the time, this was sort of the, like, she's sort of, she's just not fully, and that's okay. That's the trauma Oh my God, that is so okay. Like contextualize it. I just would have liked more, I think the interview process could have just done a little more. Like, I, I wanted more. Maybe yeah. it's like you wanted her to be a little, at a different place, like, healing journey-wise, too. Where she could really look back and condemn it. Because I was talking about it with my mom, and she was saying how she remembers when Blue Lagoon came out. And it kind of reminded me of how we all 
treated the Goonies or even the Little Rascals, where there's these young relationships, these like children falling in love on TV. And we're like, oh my God, that's so cute. Like it's so adorable because it's love, but it's like baby and it's small. And that's how people treated the Blue Lagoon as well, where it's like, wow, how adorable and like romantic this is. And so then to really have to pull that lens back of like, no, this is actually like just, really bad for society to, to normalize this right. and to like, put it on a pedestal of cute and ideal. But like Brooke was like, like under 15 on a set full of grown men fully naked. Yeah. There is like the cultural impact of the art itself and then the lived experience of making it, right? As like two different impacts on a lot of different people. And I think that it's horrible and the child labor laws, good God almighty. I hope that we have some better regulations around them. And honestly, I've always felt like there shouldn't be child actors. Well, and I think think this movie helps, like begs the question, the thing that I've, I've... sort of jokingly said this, but I also mean it, is that like before people, child, children enter Hollywood, parents should have to pass a psych evaluation. It is yeah. so dangerous. The parents of child stars are, can be so dangerous. And it is such a scary, scary world to enter into and to and an amount of power and an amount of money many people haven't seen before. And it is gonna prey on your greed, your addictions, your vices. And it is so dangerous it scars people and ruins lives and Mm -hmm. i just am like there's got to be some system we build that helps these parents helps vet them and helps prepare them to set their kids up to not end up in the ways we have seen so many tragic stories and in brooke is a success story in that regard and she has still had a major amount of trauma to, to, to overcome and she's still in the midst of overcoming it and that's that's a success story yeah mm-hmm. I think about the Harry Potter kids a lot because Chris Columbus, the director of the first three, first four, he was so particular about casting and he met every single family, like every every single kid's parents um, because he was so conscious of like not wanting mm. that kind of momager energy on set. Mm-hmm. And you can see that that kind of vetting process, like ultimately did lead to like the not not i'm sure that they're still of course fame corrupts but but they are definitely the more well-adjusted of child stars i think in the film and tv universe and we're in a world still of course during blue lagoon we're we're only just now entering a world of intimacy coordinators and awareness of the way you're handling these things on set we're only just coming into this with adults, mm-hmm. let alone minors. Like we're yeah. only just entering this era. So, I mean, it is, it was so, you know, unprecedented at the, at the time. And look how long it's taken for any change to even a little bit like start to occur to some degree. Yeah. I think one of the more impactful moments was it was some, I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly, but she kind of likened herself to becoming this like vapor of herself. Like just the mm. way she talks about disassociation a lot too. Yeah. The way she was treated and commodified and sexualized and just, and was working a working child that so many adults livelihoods are dependent on. I just always find these documentaries interesting because the way, you know, it feels like, oh, that's so distant from my life. But it's always the way we treat women and girls in the public eye is the way we treat women and girls who are private citizens. Like it is 
the the trickle down of how they're talked about publicly is how they get talked about in school or at work as yes. well. Absolutely. Yes. And how society views them as members of society, right? I mean, the thing that all of these women that we've already mentioned have in common is that they had to commodify themselves, their bodies, their personalities in order to gain success. All of them had to go through an extreme sexualization, whether that meant they were robbed of their own autonomy or not. They were truly put up onto a, a, a dish, a main dish to serve to the public. And I think that men don't have to endure that kind of commodification in the same way. There is still, of course, unrealistic expectations for masculinity, but not in the same way in which the woman is completely dehumanized and broken into parts by mainstream media. Yeah, and that, and that, having that on the world stage reflected back to you, just so much trauma to unpack. Yeah. One thing just briefly is that one of the points of the documentary where it was a turning point for Brooke personally was going to college because mm. she was able to just do follow her own interests and like empower herself with knowledge and receive positive feedback for something other than her physical appearance. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, hawking higher education like for as the right choice for everyone, but it was just, I mean, I think that's very telling that getting an education was like such a crucial moment for her personal development and maybe the one thing that like saved her personhood as a young adult absolutely and it's in a field or in a space where it doesn't matter what you look like you know like it's all mm -hmm. about like what's in your brain what what do you think what's your take on things and i think that that when women have that choice as we see in multiple documentaries like that is a big turning point when Paris is given the space to turn the cameras back on herself and really mm -hmm. like dive back into her own story you know 20 years later is super powerful but I think a lot about the women who aren't able to look back um, and give us their side of things and that brings us to documentaries like the Anna Nicole Smith that just came out on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, I think it's definitely worth the watch, but you should be warned that you will not walk away feeling good or even a little, a little good. <laughs> no. yeah. It is really a depressing watch. I don't even know if I recommend it, to be honest. Really? Really. I know, because it's like she gets almost no redemption in it. And yeah. I think... It reminded me a lot of the Whitney doc, which I would almost mm. love for that to be done again today because I think it might be done a little differently because it doesn't yeah. quite cover in the way that it should from what I can recall. The way that both Whitney, because Anna's covers this, it doesn't cover, the Whitney doc doesn't cover how much of a punchline she was made into. Right. Mm. At quite the degree that she was truly made into a punchline. It covers it a little in Whitney. Anna's really covers it and really shows us the punchline she was made into and almost doesn't pull us back out of it. And I found that just like to me, the earlier years of her of her story are very similar to those of like a Pamela, people of that nature. Like they're very familiar from the moment she sort of publicly loses this lawsuit. Of course, everyone's got this gold digger vision of her as someone who married a very old man she loses the lawsuit to get anything from his um, estate and then she gains a ton of weight which we should certainly talk about that they don't talk address about that Howard either. 
Well, yeah, all... and all I do is show Howard Stern speculating and betting on how much she fucking weighs, which yeah. made me want to vomit. Yeah. But she gains weight and she gets a reality show. And I remember hearing the Anna, 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 Nicole, hearing that again. I was like, oh my God, I forgot the like theme song. I forgot that this show was on in sort of our young consciousness. And like the clips of her and then turning her addiction into a punchline in the same way Whitney's was turned into a punchline rather than seen as like, this person needs help. I mean, she is Trim Spa Baby. I was like, oh my God, I forgot. Like you hear Trim yeah. Spa and you're like, oh yeah, Trim Spa Baby. The whole, her whole storyline post that settlement or losing of that court case is bleak. I would, this is going to feel so unrelated, but I was just like, honestly, watching these docs, I think about what did I think at the time, or like, what is my recollection of the person at the time? Right, same. And to be honest, I think I have to credit my mom, like, for being a great feminist, because I only remember growing up and my mom would be like, it is so sad what happened to Anna Nicole. Like, it was so much. Oh, shout out Linda. Yeah. Shout out Linda. Absolutely. Because just, yeah, you'd see her in tabloids or whatever, and my mom would just kind of be like, it's really unfair what happened to her. Like, that's all I remember, really. And I would never have put that together without watching this and kind of being really... Like, that's pretty remarkable. So, yes, shout out my mom. I did not get that because I felt the same watching Pamela as I did Anna and Nicole. Again, Tina, like you said, the beginnings of their stories have a lot of similarities, right? Like small town could become kind of playboy bunny and then Mm -hmm. go off from there. Um, I the only thing I remember about Anna Nicole Smith was that like she was this this cartoonish punchline of like big tits big lips on drugs and like you know just like a slut for the media and then Mm -hmm. she died of an overdose that was truly Mm. like that was my narrative of who she was I was I I didn't want to look into it before but what I'm loving is being able to retrospectively address my own impressions of the media at that time and the biases that was involved in in the news coverage but also in my own lens right of like who are these women and why are why do we care right about these tragedies and then to learn the details of the day that she gave birth to her daughter and then her son passed within 24 hours like that alone is enough to just send someone like just in off the, the rails room with them. Yeah, just like I, uh, I never knew that detail. I didn't well, maybe I, maybe I did, and I just never processed it. But to he- I truly have never felt so much oh, empathy for someone. Well, and the, I think the crazy thing about the doc too is so like right, you're spending the whole time watching it, correcting your vision of this woman from whatever mm-hmm. you knew as a kid. Like, cause again, we were pretty young at the mm-hmm. time when she was really at her, at her peak. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing all this work to reform that narrative, hear this story. And then they drop the fucking bomb of her mom's interview at the end yeah, where they just kind of shit on her again and talk about her. Like she just wanted like the quote of, I don't care. I don't care about being bad. Not if bad pays more is what her mother says. Basically saying she... They all are suddenly like she manufactured her existence and she wanted fame at whatever cost. And I was like, whoa, whip, what? I just feel like I got slapped in the face. Like, and I don't want to believe, I'm struggling to believe that. I can't believe that version of the narrative. I think that to me, I viewed it 
in the way that it was painting the whole picture of how mentally unwell she was. Um, And I think for good reason. She went through some of the worst, the worst traumas I think a person could endure. I believe her friend says she she says she didn't. But she 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 didn't. No, uh, I I still think that she will. Her father um, that, attempted that, to yes. rape no. her, yes. and then yes. she was dragged through the media. She gained, like she, and then yes, she that's lost her. Yes, her son. Right. Like I'm, there You're are still right. traumas right. that are like so deep seated that would absolutely warp your brain in like unmendable ways. I think ultimately, and to me, I'm like, yes, of course, she grew up as like kind of a pathological liar. Uh, like, and I think that. That's, I don't know, to me that wasn't like a a demonizing view, but I can see how we needed some softness at the end. I agree that like we were left with kind of like a, oh God, like what a horrible life this person led. Or weave it in, I just, I don't know. I don't know, Jules, did you feel similarly? I just felt like it, it didn't, she didn't get the, I think you're right, Delaney, that maybe the intention was what you've said. I didn't didn't feel it. it that way. There's a couple things, and some of my thoughts on this, I think, are half-baked, so take them as mm-hmm. such, but I'm just talking about viscerally how I left yeah, this yes. viewing experience. Yeah. Number one, I watched it with my dad. He had nightmares. And number oh, two, no. I know, he was like, this. that was literally the saddest thing I've ever Yeah, seen. it really was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I left feeling like I don't know her. I left feeling like she wasn't present in that documentary. And what Mm -hmm. I was hoping for was that her essence would feel present. Obviously, I didn't didn't know her. I can't know that. But I just didn't feel like she was captured in a way where, like, she was really a part of it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's a challenge. She's deceased. But, like, you know what I mean? And so then at the end... When they came out with, like, actually a major foundation of the story we've just told you is, like, maybe not true. I was like, huh? Yeah. And just to be clear, the the lie or whatever, the reveal was she had said she grew up with basically an abusive mother who would, like, tie her to the bed and beat her. And the movie ended with her mom basically saying that never happened and her son corroborating that that never happened. And her friend. And her friend. And, but it just felt like there was not enough love for her present in these interviews for me to feel comfortable with the interviews. And like, maybe that's my own bias or whatever it is, but I felt like her security guard was like the only person who I was like, oh, I feel like you really, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I just like, it made me, she isn't here. Like, she can't tell her own story. And it didn't feel like a safe, like, I don't know. It felt still a little bit, maybe it was because the imagery was so gritty and, like, like tonally The footage and audio that you have of her is when she's on, right? And we never have that Pamela look behind. What is she like on her off days? Like, we don't have that, like authentic recording of like her every day one of like the most the the parts where i felt closest to her or like closest to that feeling was listening to some of the phone calls between her and old husband um which were really kind of sweet in the beginning it was like oh my gosh that's actually really kind of cute and you can tell she has genuine care for this person despite maybe some alternative motives as well which like (laughs) Again, I still think she has daddy issues up the wazoo. So I, I think right. that there was like, that was a real relationship. So, 
to her. So the second part was when we got the peek behind the curtain that her friend was actually like her lover. And Mm -hmm. the dynamics of the men in her life who were kind of placed around her, it sounded like wasn't very sexual. Like she didn't have Mm -hmm. a lot of like real true relationships with men, but she had this friend who there was like this deep love and they were actually like she was queer. Like I don't think she'd ever say that, but she had uh, she was sleeping with her friend and she had this deep love for her girl best friend. And to me that I mean, I'm biased, but like. To me, that was just very fascinating and heartwarming. And it was like, of course, she felt safe with a woman when she's been like kind of, you know. I mean, another Whitney documentary parallel. Yeah, I think exactly. I wanted to feel that way. And I like didn't Mm -hmm. because her story like didn't feel safe. And maybe it is just the Uh fact that like she obviously can't share that with us herself. But yeah, and I, that's you know. valid. And it's also like, I think a lot of those people are kind of like bitter. There is like a bitterness mm-hmm. to them that yes. makes it feel a little yeah. robbed. Yeah, yeah, it made me feel very unsettled. And then I do just think like the way they shot her hometown and some of those hometown interviews with like family members was very true crime aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why I also was like, okay, I just don't. And this is also, I think, a lot of what I'm saying indicates that just, like, this type of documentary is probably not for, for me. Like, it's not the type of thing I gravitate towards. It felt very e-true Hollywood story. It felt very soapy in nature. And I think you're right, aesthetically. And I wonder, I'm trying to think of, if you don't have access simply to additional footage audio, like, how do you paint someone in a, a right. different light? And I think a lot of what was delightful about Pamela that I certainly didn't know going into her doc was how playful and funny she handled a lot of her interviews about herself. Mm -hmm. Um, How she kind of threw things back at everyone. I don't know if Anna Nicole did or didn't do that, but a lot of the interviews I feel like I recall them showing were her handling like harder hitting questions and like a more intense version of an interview and not like her playful giggly late night appearance. I will say like one part that stood out to me was her dealing with paparazzi in the I think it's the moment that got written up as like she's on drugs she's crazy but she was like I do everything for you guys I do everything you guys want like you're not treating me right or whatever and I was kind of like yeah but it was still kind of being painted as like she was turning like we were losing her and I was like I don't know I'm really on her side and this like she's right like I it was just a tough one for me overall Yeah. yeah Anna Nicole like played the game in a way that like she really leaned in and said, fuck her own boundaries. She was like, I don't have boundaries. I am Hollywood's puppet in a way that she was like truly just wanting to play ball because after the lawsuit, she was kind of like blacklisted, right? Like she was on her way up as this playboy model and then she lost all of her money she lost the suit became a laughing stock and would she was trying to do anything to get back into the public graces right into good public grace so to me it's also like this really difficult character to paint where unfortunately it's just bad it's she's a victim of circumstance over and over and over again and i think that the media used that as a victim blaming tactic where it's saying like well it's her fault she did this look at this like stupid blonde bitch you know who like put herself into these situations so 
it's just like a it's I think it's one of the more complicated people of this documentary mm-hmm. batch that we've kind of talked about. Yeah. To me, she feels like the most layered, complicated, traumatic story. And I still think there's so much that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I do think I also want to just both in talking about, I know I keep going back to Whitney, but there just is like so many parallels. And I think we should talk about a little bit because of what we cover on this podcast. The fact that both Whitney and like, so this era of reality TV, both Whitney and Anna Nicole had reality shows mm-hmm. at times in their lives where they were pretty down and out. So mm-hmm. it was sort of like, we'll offer you this money to put you on showcase as pretty much a zoo animal. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of the era we were in yep. of reality TV. Yeah. And they kind of had no choice but to say yes because they needed money. And they mm-hmm. were both at probably some of the lowest points of their lives. Right. And they put it on TV. They're in the Whitney doc, there's clips of her show with Bobby Brown, which mm-hmm. like, why would you put that on TV? Like, oh <laughs> yeah. my God. Yeah. You know, like, and same with Anna. And you, it was at a time where you were just hoping they'd do crazy shit because they weren't human. And I will say, I know we still think, people think whatever of reality TV, we have come millions of miles from the way we put people on camera. That's where we got trash TV. I really think that was the era era that cemented like, oh, this is trash TV. It was like, let's watch that and road rules and, you know, like people being idiots on camera, right? Just just for laughs. But to take like a really, these people are in really sensitive like tender moments of their life dark places truly both addicted and not quietly like people know i mean i believe by the time they're putting bobby and her on camera they know it's a toxic relationship oh yeah i mean absolutely it's like the Lindsay lohan show too right that was not at a good time that was when she was rumored to be late to set and she was they were like doing drugs on camera it was crazy yeah 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 it's not cute one thing that comes to mind too, because I think, of course, you know, devil's advocate, you might be like, why don't you just back away gracefully? And I think we, it's always important to consider, and this is something that actually Justin Bieber has talked about in some of his docu-series. I feel like he has 15 of them. Few, yeah. <laughs> but Not as many as Demi Lovato, and I'll stand that by them. That is true. And I'll stand by them and say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do have one for like every year of their life, yeah. which is yeah. wild. I, they have said that they are going to stop. Yes. So Okay, yeah. that's good. I just think maybe <laughs> take a break. Um, but it is when you're a performer, you get these happy chemicals. Like you get a chemical release yeah. when you perform. And it's at a level... That is unlike anything that we can probably conceptualize. And so when that's taken away from you and when you're struggling with addiction, that compounds like the complexities of whatever chemical like occurrence is happening in your brain. Like you do still need to like fill that void. Like it becomes like a very. It's an addiction. Yes, it's an addiction. It burns a hole in your brain. Harry Styles talks about coming off stage and immediately taking a shower, feeling like he has to wash away Uh, who he was, like all the fans' cheers, all the expectations, the idolation of him, right, before he can, like, carry on with his night. And I think that that is just something us everyday people are never going to have to grapple with of like what to do when when you have this massive appeal to the public and then they turn on you 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that like? And even, I mean, Whitney and Anna and maybe even Justin a little bit too, we always have to keep in mind these people come from like nothing. They come yeah. from broken homes. They come from not a lot of money. And they've now sustained lifestyles that they need to maintain. Yep. And and they also come from a hustle mindset, which is mm-hmm. work your ass into the ground, make money. They have nothing to fall back on if they yeah. lose this stuff. So you have now created an unsustainable system for yourself where you now just have to make money and this is all you do. What I'm curious about is with all of these women that have their stories told for them or they get to retell. Again, I think the commodification and sexualization of these women is is where I keep going towards because that's just always like my feminist lens of like, how do women operate in this world? How do they get to the top? And do they always have to play into the patriarchy? And I think, yes, I think they do. Watching these women move through the world How do you feel like it's affected their personal relationships based on the documentary in terms of how they interact with the men in their lives and how they interact with the women in their lives, having been through so much? I feel like I want to answer this by actually noting another documentary (laughs) about a woman in that one that we didn't bring up yet. That is one of my absolute faves is um, Jane Fonda's documentary called uh, Mm. Jane Fonda and Five Acts. It's incredibly self-aware in that she kind of realizes she's defined much of her life by the men in her life. She's morphed to meet the men. So the mm. first four acts are dad and first th- and three husbands. So each era of her life is defined by a man. And that fifth act is about Jane. And so mm. it does a good job of talk. And now she's just Jane. There's no, mm-hmm. she's like, I'm no men. Yeah. I did the thing where I knew I couldn't almost even handle being with a man because I just molded to what they needed me to be to meet my dad's expectations, husband number one's expectations. And so she does such a good job of telling the story in a way of like, and now this is where it's landed me. So I think with Pamela, I think some still to be seen. Delaney, you made a great point of being like, I don't feel like there's a lot of women in her life from what we see in the doc, which is understandable. Women have hurt her, been defensive against her because she's on their husband's walls you know like she's in their her their garage their man cave she's a threat to them women have probably not been kind to her definitely she represents that part of the patriarchy where women are competition and women are threats to each other and there can only be one right she is like Mm -hmm. the feminine ideal and so women are often resentful towards people even subconsciously who represent that you know or look like that or whatever their own triggers may be and i think that's very true of anna nicole as well i also think she was Mm -hmm. abused and taken advantage of by so many men in her life that the trust in women is probably the only thing that she maybe has. I, I I wish that her her friend story was like the most disappointing where she basically just said like, you know, I set my boundaries, she crossed them and I'm out, which is like, I get it, girl. You I know, sometimes know, you got to say goodbye. But it felt like she didn't have anyone after that, you know. Um, yeah. And it's just it's sad to me. I think about Amy Winehouse in the same way. She was so, so addicted to like, to men's approval to the male approval and i think that's the way that this industry works in a lot of ways like undercurrent wise Mm -hmm. um so of course it would translate into their own personal lives i think one 
kind of through line for a lot of these is when these women shared parts of their lives publicly. Brooke Shields, for example, talked about postpartum depression in a public mm-hmm. way. In such a public way that Tom Cruise was like, that's not real. Like, that was, oh my God, I forgot about that. That was wild. So bizarre. He was like, depression is fake. Like, it, oh it was God. just like, what? Okay. Keep your Scientologist ass over there. Yeah, like, who asked? <laughs> like, literally no one. Literally. And then Tina Turner sharing, finally coming out and saying, like, we're going to stop tying me to Ike. Like, this mm-hmm. is what I've been through. And all of these women being like, you saved my life. Your story helped me so much like a lot of these films are storytelling but also telling us about the power of storytelling like as evidenced by previous chapters in these women's lives and also to that point like something that tina was doing for me which i think was so important was seeing her renaissance in her middle age like i know yeah how progressive like we don't see that often now in 2023 Mm -hmm. like i think she found her new partner at at like 58 or something mm -hmm. and and it seemed like such a fulfilling lovely wholesome healthy beautiful bond (sighs) that they had together and to see her win finally Mm -hmm. at the end of was just so it was very fulfilling and it also just felt like everything she deserved you know like Mm -hmm. it just felt like that that prize that she won for enduring just some of some horrors yeah and i think in in you know paris's documentary which we've talked about Mm -hmm. on this podcast before she revealed a massive part of her life that nobody knew about so the power of storytelling in a way that was i think paris's big story and i think the way she's changing her narrative for herself now and we're watching her do it publicly was about like being willing to say like i'm gonna tell my truth i've been protecting my parents by Mm -hmm. not letting the world know that this is what they let happen to me when I was yeah. young. And they didn't know the whole of it, but they did let me get kidnapped in the middle of the night. And now she's a mother. She's found the person she wants to have a child with. She has a child. And now she maybe gets to heal some of the parenting that we've kind of witnessed her not be able to get from her parents. The yes. warmth and the all of that. I think there's a lot of compartmentalizing too that that like Paris even says that like she didn't even fully remember what happened to yeah. her until she started like looking back like well, really and recently. And that's trauma, baby. Yeah, and I think that a lot of these women like in these documentaries you see that happening like in real time mm-hmm. like you know with Pamela especially where she's truly like and I actually don't even want to go back there. Tina too having it being brought up but it sends her into like a PTSD episode like truly. Yeah. And so having to see people go through that in real time and also still not fully be healed is also, I think, just a nice, relatable, like life is hard. You're Mm going to go through some shit and you're going to come out a different person. And maybe that person ends up being better or not even just neutrally different, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what I love so much about watching each of these is just all these different paths that life can take you down and ultimately it's up to you to take the mic back and say, but this is actually what happened or this is how I see it or this is this is how I want to be remembered. I also have one question. I don't know if we have oh, answers yeah. for it, but I do have a question to pose. Who, which woman would you like to see a documentary 
like this about that hasn't been made yet. Oh, man. Because sometimes we don't know who we've been unfair to because we because it's so in our subconscious. Right. There are people I hope get that one day. I hope Amanda Bynes gets that one day. She now's not the time, but I want I hope and wish we get the Pamela version Mm. and not the Anna Nicole version. Like that is all I ask of this world is that we hopefully do right by Amanda Bynes and that she does right by herself and that whoever's surrounding her does right by her because that is what I want so desperately. Mm -hmm. I want the same for Britney, Britney Spears, obviously. Like, and I don't think now is the time either. I think in a few years when like whatever is developing, we're on the other side of it, you know? I hope that she's involved in the storytelling. That is ultimately, that's one of the biggest like, you know, stories of who we've probably treated horribly wrong in the press i also think a Lindsay retrospective would be really interesting a Lindsay Lindsay lohan just thinking that i would watch the heck out of that and And she's i think about ready for that like as she enters mother she is we're right on the precipice of it i kind of can't believe it hasn't happened yet but i do think i think that's inevitable you know what would blow my mind actually if the Olsen twins did a documentary. Oh, I was oh! just thinking that too. I was like, I want to know. I would straight to my veins. Like truly, that oh. would be the ultimate, like behind the curtain peak. Because I want to know so badly. We no. haven't heard from them in like 20 years. I know. Nothing. And I know they have so much to say. So much to say. Yeah. They've seen it all. They yeah. were, I mean, oh my God, Delaney. Oh my God. Just the thought of it gives me full body chills. But they are, they are two people who cashed out. They really did. Yeah. And that's, that's very unique, I would say. They prioritized their mental, I mean, yeah, that, but yeah, they're not, I don't think we're ever going to get that, but boy, oh boy, would Elizabeth? it just be. Elizabeth, are you Elizabeth, listening? Elizabeth. Yeah, maybe <laughs> take on a director role. Ma'am. Yeah. That'd be kind directorial. of fun. Yeah. yeah. They do? Oh my God. Um, well, I mean, from we D girls to these D women, we <laughs> thank them for sharing their stories. Um, and I mean, I, again, the these documentaries have truly changed the way I move through the world because these women have put themselves in vulnerable positions to say, this is what y'all got wrong about me and also what I've maybe gone wrong about myself because I believed what I was told for so long. Yeah, mm-hmm. never have I had a more critical lens on mainstream media and pop culture news and coverage than after watching these docs. It's just like, I don't I don't ever want to trust the spin that these magazines and outlets put on these very delicate stories. Yeah, and we'll make sure that in the description of this episode, we will put the names of the documentaries and where you can find them streaming so that you all can watch them too. Again, Anna Nicole, big trigger warning on that one. Yes. Proceed with caution. Yes. We'd love to hear from you all. Uh, we are on Instagram at dgirlspodcast. You can leave us a comment about which of these films you've seen, what you're curious about, what your takeaways were. We would love to hear them. Thank you so much for listening, and we will chat at you again very soon. Mm-hmm.